Thank you so much for listening in to today's episode on Success Beyond the Lens podcast. Today, I have Caitlin Magnuson of the Freelance CFO to chat about entities and S-corporations. I don't know about you, but I found out that I did not know near enough about entities and S-corporations. And it's very interesting to hear what you can and can't do being an LLC or a sole proprietor. Um, and then having an S-corporate layered on top of that. So it was very helpful to have Caitlin on this episode with me to kind of discuss the differences between those. Caitlin is the founder and CEO of the Freelance CFLLC. In November of 2017, she took her decade of experience as a tax analyst and controller and launched what is now known as the Freelance CFO. She started out as a one-woman show, and six years later, she has eight to nine employees on her team. Luckily for us, Caitlin is a numbersman and enjoys and loves numbers. She understands them wholeheartedly, and she's really here to help small businesses make the right decisions in the present and our finances for the long term. So I hope in this episode, you are able to gain more understanding on how taxes work and understanding what type of entity you should be when it comes to tax savings. So let's meet Caitlin. Hey, all you lovely listeners, welcome or welcome back to Success Beyond the Lens podcast season six, hosted by your new host, me, Sabrina Chapman, executive client experience manager and employee at SBTL. Come along for a ride in this season as we chat about some of the nitty gritty upkeeps of running a business that could be contracts, finances, insurance, 401k and different legalities. While these topics can be scary or daunting or intimidating, they are still super important when starting and growing a business. Lucky for you, we've got your back with an awesome lineup of guests to help mark these off your checklist and take some weight off your shoulders. So let's skip the cliche, grab a pen, paper, and coffee and just jump right into it. I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode on the podcast. So Caitlin is CEO and are you founder as well? Founder as well. Of the freelance CFO. Yes. So many acronyms. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So what does the CFO stand for? Number one. Chief financial officer. So in looking at like, you know, basically bringing on like a fractional CFO, we were finding that a lot of people were needing like finance, bookkeeping, tax, accounting. And most people, when they think of CFO, think of money and accounting. And so it ended up with the freelance CFO because we're doing it A, for freelancers and B, in a freelance capacity. Oh, okay. Cool. That's very nice. So kind of explain what does the freelance CFO cover? What do you take care of? A laundry list of things. So <laughs> we we started years ago. So I used to work for small businesses doing this work with them. And what I mean by this work is it could be anything from like inventory management, profitability, pricing, the bookkeeping, which bookkeeping, everyone's like, oh yeah, like I, I run everything through my bank account. Like, isn't that my bookkeeping? No. Like categorizing things appropriately, keeping your receipts, not just the bank line item on the statement because that doesn't count. So we go through doing that, like running monthly reports, answering questions, 
and educating. And the big portion of what we spend our time doing is educating and empowering because we found that a lot of our clients were frustrated working with what I call like their parents' accountants. And a lot of times, literally, it was their parents' accountants. You know, hey, this is my family accountant. He's some old crusty white dude that's been doing this for 70 years and he doesn't get my business. Or he thinks it's like this cute hobby and I'm making, you know, $100,000, $150,000, $200,000 a year. Like it's not a hobby. Uh, It's paying for my family to live. And so But they're like, you know, I have questions and they would feel belittled or patronized or like they would be made to feel, you know, dumb or like less intelligent because they have questions because we're not taught this. And what we are taught in school generally doesn't apply to the business owner side of it. And so we're here to fill that gap of like, you don't need a full-time person for bookkeeping generally and taxes and everything that goes on with like a lot of the firms that we work with are one to like less than 10 people. Like the majority are one or two people in the business. But they need someone that would answer their questions and empower them to make decisions because that's the other thing that we'd run into is like the one way to do things, right? Like we don't see that there is one way. Like, yes, there's the legal way and we're not saying don't do things that aren't legal, but maybe you want to be a digital nomad. That looks totally different than someone that wants to retire 10 years from now, which looks totally different from someone that wants to have, you know, four kids, a house, get married. Like all of those are different financial tracks. And so where can we come in to help fill your knowledge gaps and guide you towards whatever works the best for what you want in your life? So we do that with small business owners and also with traditionally employed individuals, but generally small business owners that are photographers, wedding industry vendors. We have like digital marketing consultants, coaches, social media managers. So really working a lot in the online sphere. Man, that's a lot. (laughs) So when you first get started, speaking with you, we would need to know from the very beginning where we want to take our finances. Like how you said you could be a digital nomad or you want to retire in 10 years. If I go down one track, you know, I'm like, eh, you know, I think I want to change. I can change that a little bit later. And I'm not just set on that one track. Exactly. So like, and we've seen that happen, right? Pre-pandemic versus post-pandemic. I feel like there have been a lot of changes, both in our business and with our clients and like entire industries have shifted. And so, yeah, we'll have people that are like, you know what? I really want to do X, Y, and Z. And maybe they do that for a few years or they start moving down that path. They're like, Ooh, yeah, no, like this is just not, not the vibe. Or maybe they get divorced and that changes a lot of what they were looking for. We can absolutely like such a buzzword, I feel like, but we, we pivot with them. You're not set down that one track. And so there's like, yeah, do the pivot. There's like an overarching general financial wellness that we want to be working you towards that I feel like is applicable to almost anything. But like within that financial wellness, there's then like layers of customization for what direction you're wanting to go. Those layers can be added or removed. Like, okay, cool. You want to be a digital nomad, but you're a photographer based out of Charleston. And that's what you're known for. Well, that kind of makes being a digital nomad a little bit difficult unless you're working on like booking, you know, travel elopements or engagements or doing things where you could be traveling. And there's a difference between being fully digital versus like being, you know, known for travels. Like what could you be doing that still fulfills getting you towards that path, but doesn't pigeonhole you into just that? Yeah. So you, you kind of focus on the education side, but also can you take on the account school yourself or you you and your team? Yeah. So me and my, my wonderful team, it used to be just me years ago. And now there's like nine of us, which is so, so fantastic. I'm, I'm so tired of doing it by myself. So yes, we do everything. The majority of our clients work in what I call like an associate bookkeeping or a VIP bookkeeping realm. So within those associate bookkeeping, like ticks the boxes of 
your accounting is done, your bookkeeping is taken care of, you have quarterly estimated taxes, your annual taxes are filed, you have access via email and Voxer to our team for those questions that come up. Like one of my favorite ones was someone asked, she was like, Hey, I got a parking ticket. Is that a business expense? And it's like, well, it's not just a yes or no. Were you at a session? Like what was the, like, what were you doing when you got the parking ticket? It was a business expense because she was at a session, but she parked somewhere she shouldn't have and she got a parking ticket. And so we, you know, it's, it's little things that come up like that that are really funny, but also like some of the bigger things of like, Hey, I want to get married. I want to pay off debt. So yes, we work for the most part with our clients in like a retainer based, you know, monthly capacity on an annual contract. And within that container, like we're getting to know you, your bookkeeping, like your financial habits. And that allows us to get to know you better, your finances better, and then guide you based on that information and what you want to be doing. So you can handle not just the business side of the finances, but like you said, somebody that wants to get married and they want to change their track or whatever, you help them with their personal side as well. Yes, absolutely can. They really do. Yeah. And it's one thing if you have like a side hustle or a hobby business, that doesn't necessarily factor into your finances as much. But most of our business owners are like their business is their income. So yeah, if they're like, hey, I'm drowning in debt. What do I do? Like drowning in debt on the personal side. Well, we need to work backwards because you need to be making X, Y, Z from your business to bring home this in profit to pay for your personal expenses. So yeah, it's all connected. Okay. I gotcha. So when we first set up a business, you kind of go over the different types of entities. From my understanding, are the entities and the corporations separate? Good question. Also a lot of misinformation around it. So there's a sole proprietor and a single member LLC. That's what most businesses are that like we would be working with. But like the majority of small businesses are one of those two entity types. Now entity types, and I'm going to get into that in a second. Those are what's known as disregarded entities. And it sounds really rude, but they're not, they're, they're disregarded for tax purposes. Basically what it means is those business returns, the business information is filed with your personal return at the end of the year. So if you're a single member LLC or a sole proprietor, there's a schedule C in your tax return. So like a personal return is a 1040. The schedule C is the business worksheet in that tax return. That's it. Like it's it, even though an LLC is like separate from you, it's disregarded for tax purposes. Now, what we get into is you have some corporation options. So you have a C corp, you have a partnership, you have an S corp. These are if you register your business in a state as a corporation, you can choose within reason and like based on what you have partnership wise, you can have a multi member like corporation. You can have an, you can be taxed as an S corp. You can be taxed as a partnership. And what that means is if you had two members, like two owners, two founders, you'd probably be a partnership or you'd be an S corp with two founders. You don't see like a corporation, like a C corp. And I'm going to pretty much disregard that for our purposes, because if you have someone telling you that you should be a C corp, get a second opinion. Like if you're making under a million dollars or even under $2 million a year, and you're a sole founder and like a traditional small business, being a C-Corp probably doesn't make sense for you. There's a lot of additional overhead. Your tax person can charge a lot of extra money. And sometimes it feels like some of them may recommend that because they can make more money off of it, but it's not really saving you more money and it's a lot more hassle. So yes, it is tricky. With that, we run into the S-Corp side of things because everyone's like, oh, I'm an S-corp. Generally, you're not an S-corp if your tax is an S-corp. You are normally an LLC with an S-corp election. Okay. 
And that's, think of it as like a layer or a filter that lays over your LLC that says that this is how you're being taxed legally. Like your entity is still an LLC. Now there are a few instances. Illinois is one of them. In Illinois, generally you will be a corporation taxed as an S corp. And there's just a few States that are kind of funky with that. They're not super common, but 99% of people that we work with will be an LLC single member disregarded. They will move to being taxed as an S corp when they get to the right profitability. What happens a lot that we see is one of two things. Either someone's been an LLC for like 10 years and the single member LLC, when I say LLC, I mean, single member disregarded, like things are simple. If you're making more than like 40 or 50,000 a year in profit, you're actively losing out on tax savings by not having an S corp election with that. That's when it starts to hit the window of making sense. And when I say profit, I mean, business income minus business expenses, but expenses do not include what you pay yourself. What you pay yourself is included in your profit. So if you're making 20,000 a year in profit and you're paying yourself 30,000 a year, you have 50,000 in profit. You should absolutely be looking into an S corp election. The reason that I don't normally recommend it before the 40 or $50,000 mark is because it does come with additional returns. It does come with a payroll requirement. Like it comes with some added expenses, normally 1500 to $3,000, depending on who you work with. But that's when the cost and the hassle of that then is exceeded by your tax savings. So that's why I recommend like the $40,000, $50,000 mark is what makes sense. And if you're anything above that, like the savings just increases. Okay. So can you be an S corp without having an entity without, yeah, without having an entity or? No. So you have to be, yeah, you have to have an entity. And then the S corp is the taxation layer that gets added. So what I recommend doing in general for like 98% of states is not registering as a sole proprietor to start with. It's not a mistake. It's not the end of the world. Like a lot of people will go register as a sole proprietor, which is either their name and their social, their name with their EIN, their name, their business name and EIN. And it's normally really low cost. Like I think I would give you Oregon as an example. In Oregon to register as a sole proprietor is $70. To register as an LLC is $100. So a relatively small difference. But if you register as an LLC right off the bat, you should never need to change entities. And I say this because what happens and what breaks my heart, because like, let's use California now as an example. California has that $800 fee that gets thrown around a lot by people. That $800 fee is a business level tax that gets taxed on LLCs, corporations, partnerships, anything above sole proprietor. So a lot of people in California are like, Ooh, I don't know. Like, I don't want to pay that. I'm going to register as a sole proprietor. Problem is, let's say in 2020, you registered as a sole proprietor in California. You made 50,000 in profit your first year. We can't do anything to save you money because you're a sole proprietor. You can't layer an S corp election on top of a sole proprietor. You can only layer it on top of a corporation or an LLC, which is also a limited liability corporation. So if instead someone had started out as an LLC, they could come to us in 2022, we could go look and be like, oh, buddy, like you have $10,000 in tax savings because we can retroactively do an S corp election two to three years back if you're an LLC. Yeah. And so it breaks my heart. It happens a lot in California. And we work with quite a few California businesses when they come to us and I know exactly why they did it. I don't fault them in the slightest, but it's like, uh, we could have like, 
learn, you know, live and learn. The biggest issue is too, let's say that maybe you're on top of it, right? And you're a sole proprietor because you're not sure if this was going to be a hobby or if it was going to like really take off. You get two years in, you're like, holy crap, like we're making $10,000 like a month. This is really moving. And you switch to being an LLC. You have to open a new bank account. You have to get a new EIN number. You have to update all your payment systems because it's a new entity type. Even though it can be the same business name with LLC added at the end, you have to switch from being a sole proprietor to being an LLC if you want to do that. And you have to open all of these new things, which like most of us don't want to go do. Whereas if you just did it from the get-go and paid the little bit of extra and did the LLC right off the bat, it is so much easier to do anything else that you need to. And you never need to change your bank account because everyone hates having to go to the bank and open a new bank account. That would be one of like my biggest recommendations is if you can do the LLC right off the bat, it gives you so many more options moving forward, like an S-Corp election. At Oregon, the sole proprietor is $70, whereas the LLC is $100. So that's only you know $30 difference. Is the difference in most of the states around that amount? Or is there any states where it's like, oh man, that's a big jump of money? Like for instance, yeah, California, like you said, like, I don't know if this is going to be a hobby or if this is going to want to take off because do I want to fork out $800? And okay, so let me ask you, if do most people know that they might be screwing themselves later if they don't fork out that $800? They don't know that? No, they don't know that. That's the biggest frustration. And So there are a couple of states that I know off the top of my head. Massachusetts is one of them. Massachusetts is $500 a year for an LLC registration. Technically $520 because they charge a $20 online convenience fee to register your business, which like, don't even get me started. It makes me so enraged because you're doing all of the work. It's like instantaneous, but no, they're going to charge you for not sending a paper copy in. So that one's a little bit cost prohibitive. If I remember properly, I think Illinois can be a little bit expensive. California, you know, in that $800 realm. Granted, those are all business write-offs. So like you can expense them, but there's still money out of pocket. And if you're not sure if this is going to be a, a sure thing, it can be a lot. Like, so that's, that's why I don't fault people for doing it. I totally understand why. Because a lot of us start businesses maybe out of desperation because we were unemployed. We had a baby, like we changed, you know, what we were doing and we needed to be making money. The fastest way to do that is to get registered as a sole proprietor and just do the thing. But it's really easy to end up two, three, five years down the road and not realize that you've been overpaying taxes for how many years now? Yeah, that's 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 really tricky. That sucks because it's it's just one of those things you don't know what you don't know, you know, until you get going and then it's, it's you kind of I don't know. Yeah, I guess screwed yourself is the only the only way. That I can right. No, and and unintentionally too. I know, and it's it. Yeah. I die inside, especially because part of what we're doing actually with our tax clients is we're switching to meeting with them in the middle of the year because so many people are like, oh, taxes are just like, it's February through April. But what happens? So instead, like we have people that come to us for taxes and we're like, oh, congrats. Like you made a hundred thousand dollars in profit last year. You owe 30 grand. Whereas like if they would have had an S corp election, it would have been like 20, you know, 18, somewhere like it's a, it's a really quantifiable amount. Yeah, we can't do anything because they're a sole proprietor from California and it's now February. Had we been able to register them as an LLC in that prior calendar year, we could have done the S Corp election. Like there's so many things that we can do. So we've changed how we're working with our clients so that we can meet up in the middle of the year and kind of do like a temperature check. Like how are things and same thing with like retirement? Like there are just so many things that need you to be proactive 
And like an hour meeting, literally an hour meeting or a half an hour meeting in the middle of the year can do wonders over getting to the end of the year because our hands are tied and there's nothing worse than like delivering kind of shitty news and being like, and there's nothing we can do to help. Like, had you come to us three months ago, we could have done something and people just don't know. And I'm not mad at them or upset with them. I'm more like upset with the system and trying to really like re-educate who we're working with that. Yeah. no one wants to think about taxes. I don't want to think about taxes, but it's like something we all need to do. And that little bit of your time in the middle of the year can make a huge difference. Yeah. So do you do most of your clients just keep on going being a sole proprietor or do they end up switching over to LLC? So the majority of them, except for those states that I've lined out, like I said, we have a chunk of clients, for example, in California, most of them are sole proprietors for a bit, but we have the discussion of like, Hey, so-and-so like you're starting to really build up what you're doing here. Like check in with us mid-year and you know, if we're doing their reports and their bookkeeping, we would actually wave the flag and be like, Hey, you need to be an LLC. Like it's time. We can see you're getting there. You've hit like 25,000 in profit and it's May. Like, unless there's something big that you're planning on changing revenue wise so that we can have that conversation with them. But the biggest problem is when we have tax only clients, if they're not checking in with us throughout the year of like, Hey, I'm doing this. They're not doing their bookkeeping until the end of the year, which like, I'm going to sound like a broken record. Do your bookkeeping throughout the year. Cause if you don't know what your profitability is, then like, how can you make a decision about when it's time to be an LLC? And then furthermore, when it's time to have that S corp election. Yeah. Goodness. Are there any cons to being a S corp? <sighs> Great question. The biggest cons are it requires like the next level of business from a responsibility standpoint. So in my opinion, when you go from being a sole proprietor to an LLC is a big jump that a lot of people don't realize. And what I mean by that is everyone's like, Oh yeah, I'm an LLC. Like it limits my liability and I'm not a lawyer. And I I think you guys chatted with Ray and Gabe and they can give a ton of information on LLCs. But the biggest thing with LLCs is you need to separate your personal and your business. And that can be a big difference for a lot of business owners, because if you're not keeping separate bank accounts, like separate finances, if you're just treating your business account, like it's your personal piggy bank or like debit card, there's nothing wrong with that. Like you're not going to go to jail for doing it, but it basically like blurs the lines of your LLC and your personal. And it actually undoes a lot of the potential liability protection from having an LLC. So that's like the first evolution, I think is moving from sole proprietor to like bona fide LLC, but it still keeps the simplicity of like, it's one set of tax returns. Like you, it's pretty easy when you move to being an S corp, you need to run payroll Generally, you need to run payroll at least once a quarter. And that's something that I find some people that have been S-Corps for a few years, but that work with old school accountants, they may not know that they need to be running payroll, but it's a requirement of the IRS. A lot of times like the first year, right? Like let's pretend Serena that like you're an LLC, right? And in 2022, you made $50,000. You come work with us for taxes. We can't run payroll after the year is closed. Like we go figure out your finances. We're like, Ooh, it's time to do it. We retroactively elect for 2022 to save you that money. That's kind of think of it as like your buy year or your buy, you know, like there's a buy week in sports and things like that. It's your buy year. You don't have payroll for that year because you couldn't have run it. There's a few really minor penalties that you pay for not having run payroll, but the tax savings again, dramatically outweighs it. So then when you do next is you need to get payroll set up for the calendar year that you're in now moving forward. I recommend for most of our clients, they're running payroll monthly even if it's a small amount. So the biggest thing I think with doing that switch, 
is most of the business owners that we work with are used to being able to just grab money whenever they want from the account, right? Move it over to their personal. You can still do that, but you need to be keeping a little bit of a bigger buffer in there to be running your payroll once, twice. And you can run payroll every week. You can run payroll every two weeks, twice a month. Like There's all these frequency options. None of them are wrong, but you have to run something at least once a quarter to keep all of your accounts active. So you do that, you're running payroll. So there's an added fee for a payroll software. We recommend Gusto. Gusto, don't know how to say it, should know by now. <laughs> Love it. It's fantastic. And it's like $46 a month for them to file everything, pay your taxes in. Because that's the other big thing with the S-Corp. You're chipping away at your taxes throughout the year. Not all of them, because you're only paying uh, payroll on like a portion of your profit. So like, let's use that $50,000 example in profit. You'd be running like $20,000 of that as payroll. Because there's like a, a formula for you need to be paying yourself a reasonable compensation. So there's some more complexities that come in. So in this meantime, you're running payroll, your payroll set at 20,000, you're doing payroll once a month, whatever. You're chipping away a little bit at your tax bill every time, but you're only chipping away at, at it on that 20,000. So you still have 30,000 left in profit that you owe taxes on or will need to be paying quarterly estimates on throughout the year, but it starts to make a big dent. And I noticed so like, the first year someone's an S-Corp is always a little bit chaotic because they're learning. They're trying to change a lot of their habits. Year two, it starts to feel better because you had a smaller tax bill this year. A, because you paid into part of it. B, because you had the S-Corp election, so you saved money. Year two going into year three is like night and day because you now have a whole calendar year to be paying towards payroll. Like the, the routines are starting to get easier and you get to the end of the year and you file taxes after your second year of being an S-Corp and you're like, holy crap, I owed $500. Like, this is amazing. And then you're finally caught up. And then that year you can be like paying into retirement. Like that's kind of the evolution that we see is normally by year three, most of our business owners, like we can get a retirement account open and there's like, I hate to say extra money, but there's like extra money available because you're now you've caught up on paying your taxes instead of getting to the end of the year and owing this fat chunk. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, you You mentioned if I am making... 20 to 30,000. Is that how much you said to be an escort? What are, what so are 40 to 50. Oh, yeah. 40 to 50. Okay. Well, are there any other eligibilities I need to look out for to be eligible for escort? Or That's a good question. Okay. There's one big one. The one big one is if it's more than just you, if you are not like the sole owner of the company, Right. That can skew the profit requirements. And so we see that occasionally, right? We'll have like, a spouse team where they're both owners. Also a bigger conversation to have. Like we have someone right now that both spouses were owners. It doesn't make sense for them to both be owners. They're splitting the tax benefit. If one of them wasn't like, there's a discussion to be had, right? Because if they're both needing it or there's like power dynamics or weird relationship stuff, like sometimes it can be easier to keep them both as equal owners, like how it's been. But what I did is I came in and I had a discussion with them and I was like, the the husband in this case was getting ready to open his own business, but he does help his wife and what she's doing. So instead what I recommended we do, because they were a partnership, an LLC with a tax as a partnership, no tax benefits from that. They're not an S-corp election. They were just getting to the point where like profit wise, it would make sense if one of them was an owner, but with two of them, you need to be making like double that. Oh. to have the tax benefit because you're you're having to pay both of them reasonable salaries. Whereas if only one of them is an owner, the threshold's a lot yeah. lower and you can be saving a lot of money. And so if we could set 
ego aside, and he was fine in this case, being an employee, being paid significantly less, it allowed his wife to harvest the tax benefits from that and be the sole owner. And there's like, there's always a bigger discussion to have. And realistically, it's not like he might be not getting paid less. It's just on paper. It shows that he's getting paid less. 100%. And so again, like if they're looking to do any really big purchases or buy a house, like it may make sense to have them as both being owners, but in this case it didn't. And we also look at like retirement eligibility because that can change like what retirement accounts you can have in place, but he has his business. That's a single member LLC that he's getting off the ground. He can contribute to retirement from that business. And then in the meantime, he can be an employee being paid 13000 a year or something significantly less than what it would have been because he is working part-time in that business. And then yes, household-wise, and that's where the discussion needs to happen because not everyone has joint finances. And so if they have separate finances and they're really adamant about keeping things equal or equitable, there's a bigger discussion to be had about like, well, then does it make sense for you to stay you know, partners in the business? But in general, it makes way more sense for one person to be the primary to be able to then have that S-Corp benefit. Except another really prime example, we have two friends that have a partnership LLC. They started as a partnership. They're not in a relationship with one another, like romantically, like their finances are separate. There's no point in just one of them being the owner here. They are both founders and their taxes are separate. So yes, there's a little bit of a smaller tax benefit to them. But this year, they hit the point where the S-Corp election makes sense despite having two owners. So they hit that higher profitability. So that's the biggest thing is if you have multiple members or more than one member that's an owner, then you need to be having discussion about like, are you at that right profit number? Like, should something be changed with how the ownership is laid out or does it make sense with where it is? Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. I could understand a lot. Okay. So kind of starting to wrap it up a little bit, do you have any advice that we haven't talked about that would be implemental or important for our listeners? Honestly, this is going to sound so basic and I feel like such a broken record. If you take nothing else away from this entire conversation, separate your business and your personal finances. So many people are guilty of it. I don't, this sounds, this is, this is really going to sound bad. The team's going to like slap me. I don't care if you work with a bookkeeper or not. I don't care if you work with an accounting team throughout the year. Like, yes, there's a ton of benefits. I run an accounting firm, but so many people commingle or combine their business and their personal, or they're constantly taking money out of the business, like going to Target, buying things with their business card, forgetting, like it makes it really, really difficult. Should you get busy to outsource your accounting, your bookkeeping? Not only is it more difficult, it's more expensive because there's more things to sort through. It can waive a lot of those liability protections and it can make it really difficult for you to actually understand your profitability. If you're just using your bank account and you're like, oh, there's money in there. Cool. But like, are you making 10 grand a year? Or are you making a hundred grand? And yeah. you'd be shocked at how many people don't have any idea. Like I could ask them like, Hey, what's your average profit for the month? So like, why are you doing this? Or like, what are your, you know, like where, where are your efforts going? Or like, you'll get really frustrated because you're like, Oh my God, I'm like killing myself to make this business work. And I feel like I have nothing to show for it. Well, like what services are you offering? Like, have you checked, you know, is what you perceive being really profitable actually really profitable or is it taking 90% of your free time? And so separating your accounts and your transactions, that's like the biggest thing that you could do. And it's so simple, but so many people overlook it. Okay. Okay. So three, three questions that I like to ask at the end, if we got together to meet somewhere, where would we go and what drink we have? 
Ooh, okay. That's fun. Honestly, I have two options. I have a domestic option and an international option. My domestic option would be San Diego. And if I could live anywhere in the U.S., expenses don't count. I would probably live in San Diego. I love the weather. I love the food. And we would probably get tacos and margaritas. Ooh, my favorite. (laughs) I mean, how can you go wrong? Internationally, it would be Barcelona, which is near and dear to my heart. We would... We would probably not get paella. I want to love it. I just don't love it. We would get, honestly, probably tacos again, but we would get a Pisco, a Pisco passion fruit sour, which is Uh, phenomenal. Okay. I'm usually not a fan of sours, but that sounds good. I would try that. Okay. Okay. So what is your favorite business tool and why? I feel like I should know this more. Honestly, probably long-term Slack. It takes you out of my inbox. I don't love answering emails. It feels like a real time suck, which is why I have, I have you all doing that now, which is so nice, but it's really nice for our team for like overall communication. And I, cause we use it just behind the scenes, not with our clients. And I've noticed a huge difference in being able to put things in there and the ability to like pause it, shut off notifications. Like I have no notifications on my phone, but that's really nice. And then recently I've been dabbling a lot with chat GPT. So that's like an up and coming favorite. And that's been shockingly useful and fun. I have heard a lot of things about that just from different people using it. And I need to look into it a little bit more to see what all it can, like you said, like you, you find it fun and interesting. I'm like, okay, I need to look into it. I need to yes. No, I really, I really like it. It's not perfect by any means, but it can get me like 80 or 90% of the way there on a lot of things that I'm working on. And that like conceptualization or like getting an email most of the way there is so helpful from a time and like brain capacity perspective. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. There's only so much you can handle at one time. And I also like Slack. We started using it for our team again, behind the scenes, but I like how we can communicate with one another, like team building fun conversations and stuff. You know, I've never yes, we have a whole behind the scenes channel. Yeah. Yes. And it's fun because it's not just you're by yourself. Like, especially because all of us are remote, we're not mm-hmm. ourselves at all chit chat with one another and be silly and just get to know one another. Connect. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Okay. So last question, if you could go back and give your 18 year old self one piece of advice, what would it be? Do what you feel is right or don't do what you feel isn't aligned on the flip side of that. I think for far too long, I put too much stock in what others thought of me of what I wanted to do, of the life path that I was taking, or would think that it was unconventional, or I was impulsive. And none of them live in your head, live in your life. And at the end of the day, you need to be really happy with where you are and who you are. And I think so much of that comes from tuning into doing more of what makes you feel like your most you self. Yeah. And maturity to me, I feel like that because I thought the same thing back at 18 years old, like you try to please everybody. And now that I'm getting older, I'm like, screw everybody else. I need to do what makes me happy. And what makes me, me, that if I could go back and tell myself that that's, that would be a really good advice. I would take that. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, Caitlin, thank you so much for chatting with me. I know I definitely have um, a better understanding of entities in the corporation. So I greatly appreciate that. Of course. Yeah. I feel like it's just such a topic that none of us know nearly enough about in the business world. Yeah. No, especially how you said, uh, being a sole proprietor, like you can't really go back on that. Like, like, 
kind of sucks. You know, if only people. Yeah, it really limits. I know. Yeah. Oh, I just wish that everyone, I want to like shout it from the rooftops. Like if you can, please be an LLC to start with or get your LLC set up as soon as you know, this is not going to be a hobby. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Caitlin. I, I appreciate it. Have a good day. Of course. Thank you. Well, that wraps us up for this week. Thank you so much for joining on this episode of the Success Beyond Lens podcast. If you are loving our content, it would mean the world to me if you subscribe to our channel or left us a review. You can always hang out with me on the gram at Success Beyond the Lens. Hope to see you guys next week.